All right, guys. I'm going to need you to trust me on this one a little bit and go with me. So on today's episode, uh, we have Dr. Nancy Belcher. Um, And the reason I say I need you to trust me is, I'll be honest with you, Nancy actually reached out to me um, and said she thought she might be a good guest for the show. We might be able to have a really interesting conversation specifically around her startup telehealth business uh, called Winona and a lot of the work she's doing and has been doing around menopause. (laughs) Yeah, menopause. Um, I had a similar reaction to many of you probably of like, hey, you seem like a really nice person, but I'm not sure this makes any sense for the show and and, and what I'm trying to do in terms of what's the value. But she went on to explain how um, the work she's doing and and menopause and the experience of menopause has such a big impact on on really every woman's life that that gets to that point and how it impacts their lives, their careers, their family. Um, And specifically for her with family being such an important value, her most important value, how she saw this experience impact that uh, in some negative ways and, and how it inspired her to do the work she's doing. So again, I was still a little bit skeptical. I wasn't sure if it was going to work, but I had an hypo- I had a hypothesis when I started this show that um, if you're talking to somebody about what they really value and care, care about, what they're really passionate about, and you can ask the right questions, you can follow the thread and kind of dig deep into what's underneath it, it's always going to be interesting. Now, TBD if that's true or not. But I think this conversation was a good proof point that it might be. Um, You know, again, Nancy has a a really strong background. She's a biochemist. She's a PhD. She has 30 years of experience. So she she certainly brought that knowledge and and taught me a lot of things about women's health and health in general. But more importantly, more interestingly, and why I say you guys should really listen to this one and, and give this one a shot is when we got into some of the implications of that, right? what it means to get older and why we hate it so much, not just women, but all of us. Um, The impact of biases and the way that plays out in in the medical field and how that can come into play. Um, All different types of human nature aspects of us and how it plays out and kind of is relevant to this conversation came through here. And I found it super interesting, super thought provoking. Um, and I hope you guys do too. So again, whether you have interest about women's health or hormone replacement therapy or menopause specifically, you'll learn something about that here. But if you're just interested in about understanding how humans think, and particularly when it comes to getting older and, and how we view older people in society and why we view them that way and what the implications are for how we treat them and the medicines we can take and all that, I think this one's going to be a good conversation. So as always, I appreciate you guys listening. I hope you guys enjoy this one. I hope you find it as valuable as I did. Let's get into it. All right, Nancy, thank you so much for being on the show. I, uh, I dive in right in the beginning, like I always do. So I will ask, what's the value that's most important to you and guides your life? Uh, the value that's most important to me is my family and maintaining a positive spirit in my family in spite of all of the outside influences that try and oftentimes break up a family. Mm, mm, and thank okay. you for having me on the show. Yeah, of I course, appreciate it. Of course. Um, so yeah, so let's, let's get into that. Um, so outside influences that impact your family, what's that, what's that look like for you? Are there, are there certain ones that are higher priority to you? Are there certain ones that are personal to you that 
have impacted your family more that you're more worried about? What's, what's that look like? Yeah, so I am, I'm married. I have a husband and I have five sons. And when I had my first son, I was 27 years old. And when I had my last son, I was 42 years old. And uh, all same dad, uh, 100% uh, related to the boys are, and I, of course it's five boys. And so what I realized with my oldest son was that I was the mom that I really wanted to be. And as I got older and started to go into perimenopause and menopause and my hormones started to change, I wasn't the mom that I was to my first son for my fifth, fourth and fifth son. Mm-hmm. I was anxious. I was angry. Um, I had lack of self-esteem. My body was changing in ways that I wasn't comfortable with. And all of that sort of impacted my relationships with my family, my friends, my coworkers. And yet I wasn't willing to admit that I was in menopause. And of course, that's a huge taboo topic. Nobody wants to talk about menopause, especially men. So I had these five boys that I didn't feel comfortable saying, sorry, guys, I'm having a really terrible hot flash or sorry, I didn't sleep at all last night. So I'm being kind of a a rude mom today. Um, And so we sort of suffered through it. And I have to give credit to my wonderful husband who sort of held my hand through it all, but it was unnecessary, right? I didn't need to go through that. I didn't need to impact my family that way. So I'm going to, we talked a little bit pre-show, so I'm going to ask a bunch of questions and I'm going to do it because I'm, I'm not, I have no medical expertise and I'm a man. <laughs> so I, yes. I, I missed two checks here about, so I'm, I'm sure I'm naive. I'm ignorant in a ton of ways about this. Um, but maybe as a starting point, um, since so you mentioned menopause, I know that's a big focus mm-hmm. of your life and your work. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk a little bit about for people that don't understand it, why it had such a big impact on you? You started to touch on it a little bit, maybe a little bit of sure. the science, but also okay. how it played out for you specifically of how it became such a big part of your life and why you've kind of dedicated your, your work to it. Great. Yeah. So when I started menopause, um, most people don't realize that menopause for most women starts in their late thirties and early forties and menopause is just puberty in reverse. So when you, when you go through puberty, your hormones go up both for men, for boys and girls, and for guys, they get those big, wonderful muscles that they're so looking forward to and that facial hair that they're so looking forward to. And then the women Unlike me, most women get some really great, wonderful curves that they like to show off. Um, I had more of a fire hydrant figure, but um, so, and the women and the boys start to have an increase in libido and, um, you know, just a lot of exciting things happen when you go through puberty, but some bad things happen too. Like your skin breaks out and you're, you're very, um, you know, everybody talks about the moody teenager. Well, there's a reason for that. Your hormones are just jacked up and you're not used to it. So you're trying to deal with something that's invisible to you. Nobody's really talking to you about it. Well, the exact same thing happens with women when they go through menopause, when those same hormones go down and they go down really irregularly. So sometimes you're fine. And then the next week it just drops. Mm. And most men that have a girlfriend or a wife or partner, they know that monthly cycle, right? They're like, Oh Jesus, here we go again. Right? So with menopause, it's sort of that roller coaster, but on a much bigger scale. And while we do kind of talk about women's monthly cycle, we really don't want to talk about menopause. It's it's women admitting they're getting older. It's mm-hmm. women admitting that they're leaving their years of being able to have a child. And for a lot of women, that's that brings on some angst. You know, mm-hmm. they don't they don't want to get old. Who wants to get old, right? 
Um, so when these hormones drop and they, then we have this roller coaster um, in menopause, there's tons of symptoms. We identified over 130 symptoms related to menopause and the drop in hormones that most people wouldn't even think about. So for example, people constantly are saying to me, oh, my joints and my muscles ache. It's just getting old. Well, okay, it's getting old, but it's also your hormones are dropping. So what, what I say to women is, you know, you make testosterone too. And it's not just a male hormone. And so when women say, gosh, my metabolic rate, my metabolism is really low. I'm just gaining a ton of weight. Like I gained 50 pounds in a year. Mm. That's how much my metabolism changed. And it's because uh, you don't have as much lean muscle. And so your metabolic rate just drops. You're eating the same amount. Um, but you're just not burning it the same way that you used to. So all of these things are happening. Your skin drops, you know, people start to notice the wrinkles. All of that is estrogen. These are the hormones that drop estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone all drop in women with menopause. And those three hormones are related to your skin, your hair, how well you sleep, your mental state. You know, maybe you've heard women talk about having brain fog. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. yeah. Sure. And so women think, well, maybe it's Alzheimer's and they start to get really nervous about maybe I'm just losing it. No, it's called menopause and it does get better, but you have to get through this phase um, and get those hormones back to a level state so that you can be yourself again and you can feel good again. Yeah. So um, for me, the changes, the biggest changes, and I used to be an Ironman triathlete. And I used to be, I used to race marathons. So I was one of those people that I was lucky enough to race under three hour marathons. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I trained really hard at it and I was very proud of my figure. Um, again, it was a little bit of a fire hydrant, but I was lean and I was mean. Right. And, um, as soon as menopause hit, I just became kind of that middle-aged, you know, kind of a belly and I, I hated myself. And so when you sort of have that self-loathing, um, it's very hard to love your family. And that was the, that's my value, right? I want to, I want to love my family. I want to value my family. But when you don't love yourself because you don't even recognize yourself, not just physically, but even emotionally, like if my oldest son would do something when he was, you know, a child, I was a pretty steady parent. I would say, hey, let's think about that. Maybe we need to take a little time out, you know, all mm. those little parenting things, right? Uh, with my fifth son, I just lost it. I just found myself yelling and doing things that I swore I would never be that parent. And I find myself still apologizing to him regularly because I wasn't the parent that I should have been for mm. him. So I appreciate you sharing that, Nancy, both the, the kind of description of an explanation, because I'm sure a lot of people listening probably don't fully understand it to your point. It's not something that's talked about a lot, but also the personal side of it, because um, I think that's, that's important. So there's two things that I think are, are particularly um, interesting about what you're saying. And, and maybe I'll start with the first one, which is, you know, you mentioned the, the hate, the self-loathing and, and the not wanting to get older. And, and on, the, on the one hand, on, on, on a service level, I totally get that, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about that of, because um, hate's a strong word, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what led to the hate? Was it, was it, and I don't say this to seem dismissive sure. by any means, I'm asking, yeah. was it literally the physical transformation that that was just important and seeing that shift 
like what what led to that deep emotional feeling of hatred for yourself when you went through that change yeah and i think and, and it's a great question thank you for asking that and i don't have any problem saying that i have had a lifelong struggle with depression mm-hmm. and so um the depression just went off the rocker uh when menopause hit as a matter of fact women going through menopause have the highest suicidality uh, uh during menopause of any time of their lives mm-hmm. um, so we have to be aware of that with women that are going through menopause that th- they do have a lot of self-loathing and part of it is a little bit of vanity which i can admit to that mm-hmm. you know uh you look in the mirror and you're just not the person you used to be but it's also not recognizing the emotional person right so i used to be very quick on my feet um and i like to say that i'm, I'm back again because mm-hmm. i got my hormones taken care of but i just remember being at work so i have a phd i was a professor for many years and i was quick i was quick on my feet um and then with menopause i was dull right so somebody would ask me a question and i knew it was there i knew i had the answer but i couldn't get it i couldn't get the right word and we look at women in the workplace and i mean have you ever heard a woman say i have to leave a meeting because i'm in the middle of a hot flash never right? That's career suicide. Uh, So we don't talk about it at work. So you're just in this situation in your life that seems completely out of control. And yet you can have it in control. You can regain it again if you get those hormones back in place. So the self-loathing was the physical and it was also the emotional. I wasn't quick and I didn't look anything like my former self. And I was responding to friends and family in ways that I personally didn't like. I was like, who am I? Mm. And just maybe on that thread, one more point on it. Like, so what I like to do on this show is, is get to like the root first principle. And, and sometimes the answers to those questions aren't there, but I think they're worth asking and exploring. And I ask it as much as myself as everybody else. So by no sure. means do I mean to put you on the spot, but I always find this interesting. I talk to my wife about it. I think about it myself. I've had conversations with a lot of people. The the idea of hating getting older, menopause obviously introduces a different dimension because as you said, well, maybe, right? Obviously the hormonal piece of it, but I think everybody getting older, your body changes, you get older, you don't look the same. There's a part of me that looks at that in a very kind of cold, logical way and says, what's the point of getting upset? It's just what it is. It's just life. Sure. We all progress. We get older. I get it. Like maybe it's more fun to be younger. But in the very kind of maybe Buddhist type mentality, like there's no point in getting upset about something you can't, it's just inevitable. We get older and we change. Right. If we're lucky, we get older. Yeah. Well, if we're lucky, exactly. Right. So just curious for you, you know, you're obviously a very educated, smart person. You've, you've considered that I'm sure. What is it that you think makes it so hard for us as humans to, to, to acknowledge, to to accept that, right? Because myself as well, I I struggle with it. Why do you think it's so hard for us to just embrace that? And we want, we we don't want to get older. We don't want to move to that piece, even though it's inevitable in some ways. Yeah. um, Well, part of it is that we're, and I don't know if you have kids, but I have, okay. So, and are your folks still around? They are. Yeah. So you're the, what we call the sandwich generation. You're Mm. in the middle of the sandwich. Mm. And so you have the kids that you're tending to, and then you have the parents that you're tending to, and hopefully your parents are self-sufficient and you don't have to worry about them too much you look very young so they're probably fine my, my mom on the other hand is is quite elderly mm. and um i look at that and i say oh hell no mm. i i don't ever want to get there i don't you know on thanksgiving day she literally broke her back because mm. she has osteoporosis which is a 
is a side effect of not having hormones, right? So if she had been on hormone replacement therapy, she probably wouldn't have gotten osteoporosis. So you have sort of that reflection back at you of your parents and you say, that scares the life out of me. I don't want to be there. Um, the other thing that I think is more impactful, because I, I do think you can always find people in your life that are great role models, regardless of the age. And I, I could name five people right now. I'm going to have lunch with one of my former professors next week, and she's 80 plus, and, and I think I would love to be her mm. at that age, right? So, so you can always find people, but I think the biggest problem is our culture, our emphasis on youth um, in our current culture. And even when we, so my company is called by Winona, by Winona.com check it out. We're going to be in New York soon. Uh, but when we were checking out the photos for a menopause website, we had to, now, of course, you always want advertisements to be aspirational, right? You always want, you don't want to say, um, change your hair color and then have a terrible hair color in your image, right? So we were trying to get models and we kept saying they're too old. They're too old. Mm. We can't use those models, although they were in our demographic. And those were the people that we were trying to sell the product to. And so we found ourselves stepping back and saying, we have fallen a victim to mm. our culture that says younger is better. Um, and we have lost sight of age with grace and with dignity. Um, what I'm trying to push is make the second half of your life better than the first, mm -hmm. right? I would never want to be 23 again. I don't know what you were doing when you were 23, but I was in a lab with rats and it was awful. And they, by the way, rats bite really hard. Um, so I certainly wouldn't want to be 23 again. And honestly, I think I actually look better now than I did when I was 23 with the exception of the weight. So, so I don't have this desire to turn back time. I just want to be in control control of the progression as I age. And that's what I feel like hormone replacement therapy can do is they can help us feel better. Those achy joints, those muscles, that weird weight gain that makes you look like you have a dad bod, you know, and you're a woman, why would you want to have a dad bod? Mm -hmm. um, and your hair, like your hair thins, all of these things, you want to have a better second half than you had of the first and I am so grateful for all the knowledge that I have gathered over the years. I mean, that ignorant 23-year-old, right? I, I would sure. never want to be her again. Sure. I guess what, what, what I struggle with, maybe not struggle with, but what I think is worth exploring is I hear everything you're saying and, and I get it. Mm -hmm. and, but at the same time, I wonder if we, the rhetorical we, um, are being honest with ourselves, right? Because I totally hear what you're saying and I get it, where there's this kind of dichotomy of getting older is inevitable and we should be okay with that as a culture, we should accept that mm -hmm. and we shouldn't shame that and we should be open about it. And the expectations that, you know, you need to be young and beautiful and all those things are, are not fair. But on the other hand, and even in the way you're talking about it, there is that aspirational aspect. There is that, I don't want my hair to get thin. I don't. Right. So I wonder if like, what, what's the truth for us as, as a society, as a culture, right? Is it mm -hmm. that, we wish it was true that we could be more accepting of getting older, but honestly, if we're all being, or most of us are being honest with ourselves, we don't want to be old. We think it's ugly. We think it's stupid. Mm -hmm. We think we look mm -hmm. bad. Like, which is it? Is it really? Because when I hear you talk, it sounds like what you're saying is you're okay with getting older, 
except certain parts of it. And is it okay for that? Does it have to be all or nothing? I want to feel good doing it, right? So I I think I got uh, COVID last uh, about a month ago, the Omicron variant, which is very different than the Delta. And so my joints were absolutely on fire. I mean, Mm. I felt like I had a match to my knees and I don't have knee trouble. And I thought to myself, this is what I'm hearing from our patients that say my knees and they, they're not on fire anymore mm. because I'm taking, I'm taking medicine to help with my hormone uh, decline. And so could we get older and still feel good? Right. Mm. Um, because I'm really tired of my friends saying, Oh God, I can't do that. Cause I'm, it's just, I'm too old. Mm. Like so many of my friends have given up skiing and I get it. They don't want to fall down and break a leg or whatever, but come on, get out there and still do the things that bring you joy. Mm. But they're so fearful of getting hurt. They're achy. They, they don't feel good anymore. So let's feel good as we age. Maybe it's not just the aesthetics, right? Maybe it's not just the thinning of the hair or whatever, but that's a sign. That's a symptom of all the other stuff that's going mm. on. Um, and so cardiovascular disease is the number one killer of women in the United States beyond any um, cancer that's related to the female reproductive, including breast combined. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and by the way, American Heart Association funded my um, research in graduate school. So I'm hugely grateful to them. But women, most women don't think about getting out there, going skiing, going exercising, when they're, I'm 58, when they're 58, because they're like, I'm tired. I mm. didn't sleep well last night. My, my, my joints hurt. Everything hurts. I'm not going to do it. And so what's happening They're le- It's leading to cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, type two diabetes, all sorts of things are going on. So let's feel better so that we can do the things that keep us healthy, keep us from getting these chronic diseases. Um, and, uh, yeah, maybe we yeah. don't care as much about the thinning of the hair, but we care about, you know, staying, staying uh, active, yeah, moving. No, I think that's fair. And I think, you know, I'm going to say a phrase that might be interpreted negatively, but, but I, I don't think I mean it that way. Like in some ways we want our cake and eat it too, right? We want to be able to get yeah. older, have the wisdom, have the experience, get away from the crazy shit we did when we were in our twenties or mm-hmm. teens, whatever it is, but still yeah. be able to enjoy life, feel good, look good to an extent. And it's weird because I, I prefaced it. And in some ways, like, I don't know why people sometimes think of that as like, oh, no, you can't, you can't do that. Like, that's bad. Mm. You should just accept mm. it that you get older or you should admit that you're vain and you want to be young and beautiful again. And I don't know why that is. Like, even as I say it, I don't know why it is, but it mm-hmm. seems to be a stigma around that. But in some ways, what you're saying is just that, like, no, 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 we're going to get older. We're going to change. But if we could make it as enjoyable as possible, why would we mm-hmm. not want to do that? Right. Right. It's not a fountain of youth, right? There's no such thing. But, um, and by the way, Terry, you can never offend me. I went to school in Philly. So South, yeah, South (laughs) Philly. I'm used used to it. You can't offend me. Um, But um, I I think, I think it's a great goal. I think too many people just become sedentary in their fifties, sixties and beyond. I think they just use age as an excuse not to continue to, to push themselves. Mm. You know, I started, um, well, I was a, a windsurfer for 30 years. So I'm in Seattle and there's a place down in, in outside of Portland, Oregon called Hood River. And people go windsurfing there. And it's it's a very elite place to windsurf. And um, about uh, 10 years ago, everybody switched from windsurfing to kiteboarding. Have you ever seen kiteboarding with those big sails? And you oh, have yeah, like yeah. almost a, a wakeboard that you're on. 
And I, I, at first I was like, I'm too old, I'm too old to try it. Right. I'm going to get hurt. And I had all these excuses and most of it was related to age and sort of my declining body. And my kids just said, no, mom, you're doing it. You're going to be that stud mom that does it. And I have to admit, if they hadn't pushed me, I wouldn't have done it. Now, granted, I did get hurt, but I got better. Mm. Um, and now I'm a kite boarder, right? Mm. Now, how many of my girlfriends that are my age would even try that? And mm. they use age as an excuse. And I used to hang out with women that were, you know, kind of daredevils. And now because of their age, they know nope, all of that goes to the side. They become very... Um, must stay home and watch a movie. I'm gonna take what up a, at, the, at the root of that, Nancy. Do you think fear it's psychological? Yeah, it's fear. Fear that they're bought. Well, I went skiing last weekend, I hadn't been skiing in a year, which is really long time for me because I grew up skiing, but I'm working so hard on this company that I haven't been. And so I was going down the first run, and my husband um, was like, You good? and I felt myself sort of sweating. Even though I started skiing as a very small child, um, I just got a little panicked because I thought I'm going to hurt myself. Are my legs going to follow me? Which when I was 25, I never would have asked that question. It would have been, my legs are with me. Here we go. But as I get older, is my body going to go with me? Mm. Um, and so I think there's got to be that applied pressure of don't be sedentary because your body won't go with you if you don't keep working at it, right? Mm -hmm. You have to keep pushing yourself. And yes, I did get really hurt on the kiteboard. I did. I had to have surgery, but I'm fine. And I'll be going kiteboarding again sometime soon. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know. What's, see, because that's one of those interesting, I don't know if it's philosophical, maybe it's just logical things to think about, but take what you said, right? You, you have some girlfriends, you know, that don't want to go kiteboarding or skiing. Cause mm -hmm. they're like, well, what if, what if I get hurt? What if my legs don't work the way they do? Yeah. But if you play out that thread, I think you, you'll correct me. I, I don't know. But like, if you play out that thread, the fear is, well, what if my legs don't work as well or I get hurt and then I can't do the stuff I want to do, but you're not doing the yeah. stuff you want to do because you're exactly. afraid. There's a weird, right? Like how, does, yeah. how do you explain that? Yeah, no, it's, that's, you hit it, it right on the head. It is. Um, it's a weird conundrum that you get into because the less you do, the less able you are to do. And right. so um, when I when I went skiing, so I went down the first run. It was a run that I mean I used to go down, just bomb down it when I was a kid, and I did sort of this like pizza turn kind of thing, like the little kids do. My husband was like, "Where did my wife go?" Like it was that you just going down that run. And then as I got warmed up and I got used to it, we did a couple of groomers. Then I was like, okay, I think I can do this. And by the end of the day, the boys said, Mom, you're a good skier. So, you know, the ultimate compliment, right? But I hadn't been in a year because I was afraid and I was working too hard. So I just would encourage women and their husbands or their partners to encourage their the females in their lives to kind of reevaluate, like you were saying, don't just not do what you love to do for fear that you're going to get hurt and won't be able to do it because you're not doing it anyway. Exactly. Um, so I wonder if it doesn't go back, sorry to cut you off, Nancy, but I wonder yeah. if it doesn't go back to your point before about you mentioned with your mom where if you do get hurt, if it does go wrong, it forces you to face that reality, or at least you think it does of, oh, see, I am too old to do this. Whereas if you don't do it at all, at least maybe you can maintain it in your head of mm -hmm. like, I'm still relative. Maybe I can't go skiing, mm -hmm. but I'm still good. 
Maybe yeah. there's some of that to it. I, I don't know. Well, it was weird because that's, that's an interesting point because when I was, let me think, how old was I? 43, which I don't think is very old. I was just waiting for my uh, brother-in-law on a cat track. We were up in Canada skiing. I wasn't doing anything. And again, I've been a lifelong skier. Mm. And suddenly my knee just went backwards, mm. like the wrong direction. And I blew up my ACL, MCL my meniscus was injured. I mean, they had to take me down in one of the little things. And I was just like, what just happened? So when uh, the surgeon said to me, oh, so, hey, what do you want to do about your knee? I said, well, I want you to fix it. And he goes, well, you know, you're 43. We don't necessarily have to fix it. Do you think you're going to ever ski again? Like I'm 43. Like, yeah, I'm going to ski for another 40 years, I hope. Then so he did a, a cadaver ligament, you know, dead person's ligament. And but but his first inclination was you're kind of old. We don't we don't need to replace it. Do you really need that it's lateral crazy. movement as an old person? I'm like, is 43 really old? Yeah. Um, so I think in the medical world too, they sort of write women off too after mm-hmm. a certain age. And I do have to say, um, because in my other job, I um am uh, the CEO of a county medical society that has 12,000 docs in it. And I do have to say in medical school, they don't train doctors about um, post-reproductive women's health. Mm. They talk a lot about, well, when they're pregnant or, you know, if they're on birth control before they get pregnant, but the women just get categorized as geriatric after about the uh, 40 years. Mm. And so there's, there's not enough information for doctors to even help female patients. I mean, the OBGYNs that I talk to regularly about hormone replacement say women have been given a huge disservice by a study that came out in 2002 called the Women's Health Initiative, which ironically enough, my mom was one of those study participants. They had 161,000 women in the study. Mm. It was at 40 different sites across the United States. It was a federally funded study. It was the first of its kind to actually give money to study women's health. And so it was very well publicized. It was, it was, it was groundbreaking. And it was taking place, all the statistical analysis was taking place at the location of where I was doing my research. So I would have lunch with the researchers of this women's health initiative study. And in 2002, rather than release their data of this 161,000 women that were on hormone replacement therapy or not, they just went straight to the media and they said, hormone replacement therapy is going to cause breast cancer, which we now know isn't true. Um, And they also said it'll cause blood clots, which that was the old hormones that very few people even use anymore. So now if you Google hormone replacement therapy, it'll come up that you're going to get breast cancer or you'll die of a blood clot. And all of that is misinformation because we don't know enough about women's health after the age of 40. You know, it's, there's two, like, I would argue maybe fundamental like aspects of of human nature or human psyche that I think come into play there, which I think are interesting. One very related to to women's reproduction. Cause again, I was just having this conversation with my wife the other day, because we were talking about getting older, like we're we're almost 40, the both of us. And Uh we're starting to think about in that way. And could it possibly be, so the one point is, could it possibly be that simple that as much as we've evolved and and learned as a, as a, as a human race, that it still comes down to if you could make babies, you're useful to me and you mean something. Mm -hmm. And if you can't, well, then you mean nothing. Like, is it that, are we still that basic? Oh, I just love this question. I'm so glad that you asked me that question because, um, okay. First, 
humans and orca whales are the only animals that go into menopause. They are the right. only ones. There's no other animal on the planet. Oh, and then there's one weird uh, dolphin. Uh, what's the dolphin? So anyway, three okay. um, that go through menopause. And the menopause isn't even written in the ancient textbooks like Socrates and, and all of these different scholars didn't even talk about menopause. And you think, how is that possible? And the sort of knee jerk reaction is because they died before they went through menopause. Everybody died at about the average age of 43. That's not really true. Mm. Um, what, what women after they go through menopause do, how they serve the population is they actually take care of the young so that their daughters or their daughters-in-law can continue to reproduce and that they have someone to help them raise this family. So it's a very viable position, job to have, right? You need to have those mothers-in-law as much as people joke <laughs> all the time about their mother-in-law. They're really, really important people in, in society. Um, that being said, we still don't know anything about their own particular health. Um, it used to be not too many years ago, maybe just over 100 years ago, that women were put in institutions, insane asylums, when they went through menopause. Um, the, the creation of the vibrator was because they felt like women that were going through menopause just needed to have that release, and the physicians would manually help them have that release, and they uh, got so tired of helping women with this that they created a vibrator. Um, it all comes back to sex, right? In a weird way. Like does. our brains are just, that's all we think of. That's well, all we, yeah. right? It's procreation, all, that's procreation, all we do. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so anyway, there's just all of these crazy stories about things that doctors used to do to try and help women when they were in menopause. And you know, it's, it, they're horror stories, really. I mean, I'm so grateful that I'm in this more enlightened age that yeah. you can gracefully get older, but there are things that we can still do to, to make that transition better and, and live an active, healthy life. Well, and you, you're hitting on the second kind of fundamental human psyche point I was going to hit on before, which is for some reason, and this gets back to the cake and eat at two point, like it seems like we as humans are not okay with people um, getting something they don't deserve. I don't know if that's the right phrasing, but there's this idea of like, if you're older and you're past a certain point, just as an example, I think we apply this in a lot of things though. It's like, you shouldn't get to do that stuff. Like you shouldn't be able to take medicine to get to do that. Like you're older, mm -hmm. you just accept it and you go on. And mm -hmm. the idea that like, no, 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 we're still viable. We still have function but you're cheating in some way because you're taking hormone replacements. Again, that stigma comes in that somehow that's negative. And that's a weird thing too, where it seems like we as people don't care as much about people being happy as much as that they quote unquote earned it and, and did it fairly Interesting. The right way or something, right? So let me, let me turn the question on you. Okay. So again, I have five sons. So we have sports on constantly in yeah. my house and I'm a for, sports fanatic, uh, go Seahawks. But anyway, um, we had a terrible year, I'm but um, fan, so I can't talk. What is that? I'm a Jets fan, so I can say. Oh, you're nothing. Jets. Yeah, okay. so don't um, Sorry for yeah, that. Um, so, uh, you know, on those shows, you see those ads for the little blue pill. True. And nobody blinks an eye, right? It's like men men have trouble getting it up. It's a pretty simple thing. You got to just get more blood flow to it, and there it goes, right? 
Well, women have a really hard time with their libido when they're, so the reason that you have problem with erectile dysfunction, there's a couple of things going on, but one of the things is that you don't have enough blood flow, your testosterone is dropped. So this little blue pill increases the blood flow to this uh, particular type of tissue, and then there's your erection and it's great. But if you're still with your partner that you've been with for a while and they're of comparable age, she's going through menopause and her, she, all of her issues with her vaginal dryness, you know, she has lower libido, all these things. And suddenly you got a man who's super excited because finally he can perform again. And you got the woman saying, oh, Jesus, stay away. Right. Yeah. Or the man wants to engage longer than the woman is comfortable doing it. So we can have all these ads of the, remember the cactus, remember the cacti, those were the original ads that came so. out for the yeah, Viagra, so. you know, the flopping cacti and suddenly <laughs> yeah. it was upright. Um, we don't have anything like that for women. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I am the mother of five sons, so I'm not trying to do this whole misogyny thing. No, I get it. But yeah. And so, so that's a frustrating thing. And then the other thing that I see a ton of is these ads for men to get testosterone, sure. um, therapy and it is a control controlled substance so it is rather hard to get um and whereas hormone replacement for women is not a controlled substance they can just get it mailed to them from their home or to their home so i don't think people really think it's bad for a 70 year old dude or an 80 year old dude to be kind of jacked up it's like good on you like mm -hmm. they look great i mean i work out at the gym i see these older guys and you know they've got to be on something like i'm not going to name any actors because that would sure, be bad but, form right, but yeah. i look on tv i'm like there's just no way you're not taking but something we get mad, don't we right like some people like there's a there's a there's like a resentment almost i feel like and, and, and maybe it gets back to what you were saying earlier of like too many people are just comfortable settling for the idea that this is just what life is now. And if they see somebody else doing it a different way or enjoying life still, they feel like that's unfair somehow. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think you're right. I think there's people that do do it and, and they're okay with it. But I do think there's like a, there's a sense, there's this weird sense of like, we don't want to get older. And even if there's a solution to it, we feel like, no, you should, I don't know. I don't know. It's a very, it's a very strange dynamic. Well, the women are told oftentimes by their physicians that uh, with regards to menopause, you just need to see it through, just endure right. it, just put right. up with it. Well, the problem with putting up with it is that I hate to say this, but for most women, it takes about 20 years to get all the way through it. I know. So 20 years, that's a very long time to just endure, right? Yeah. You want to have a really vital, some of us might not have anything more than that 20 years. Sure. We might, you know, get might have less. Who yeah. knows what? Um, so let's make it the best 20 years possible and not just endure it. And the thing that's great about hormone replacement therapy is that as compared to what was released in 2002 in this old obsolete study that keeps getting cited on Google, um, we use different hormones now. They're made from yams. They're safe. They're FDA approved. They're, you know, they're just not comparable to those scary old studies. Yeah. And yet when you go to the doctor, most of the doctors aren't very well educated uh, about hormone replacement therapy. And they say, wasn't there that study in 2002 yeah. that was really scary? Even the doctors are saying that. So the OBGYNs are pulling their hair out because they're trying to get women to take better care of themselves. They don't have these chronic long-term diseases like heart disease, type two diabetes, esophageal cancer, colon cancer. I mean, I could go on and on and on. All of these things can be potentially prevented with hormone replacement therapy we know that for a fact so yeah you know 
Um, and let's talk about osteoporosis. So uh, you oftentimes hear about women saying, oh, you know, my grandma, she fell and she broke her hip. Well, the reality is, is that grandma probably broke her hip and then she fell hmm. uh, because the hip was so fragile. Right. Yeah. And so we know the number one thing that hormone replacement therapy can do is prevent osteoporosis, which they call the silent killer, because you don't see it. It doesn't look sure. any different. You might notice like some women start shrinking a little bit. Men do, too, because the, the separation between their vertebrae and the little discs start to shrink a little bit. But women that sort of curved back, that kind of thing, it's called the silent killer because mm. people don't don't notice it until it's too late. Yeah. And I think I won't go here because I know we're coming towards the end. There's another line of question mm -hmm. I want to ask you before we wrap, yeah. but I think it's worth noting because I think you're, you, um, I, I saw from some of your profile and stuff that you have some views on this space too. I, I think this is an example of one of those instances. And, and, and I'm, I'm much like you, like there's a lot of societal issues that go on right now and, and it's tough to decipher what's real, what's not, but there's certain things that are very real, but they're hard to see. And I think, you know, you could, you could look at race as another example, but you're illustrating it more from, from with women you know, the, the whole idea that back to Socrates, menopause, menopause wasn't really acknowledged and probably maybe the root cause is because we just think about sex. And if you can't make babies, you're not much use to us. Mm -hmm. Understanding that in subtle ways that kind of infiltrates into how the textbooks are written and how doctors are taught and how they start to think about problems so that when you go to your doctor today and they say, just endure it and go through it. And they say, well, there's studies and but they don't realize how much bias has built up over thousands of years yep. from a starting point that might not be logical. And so many people will dismiss that and say, oh, you're just being, you know, too progressive or you're just being, you know, your virtue signaling. And maybe you I'm did sure read my bio, that, but there's a real I did. I do a little bit of homework, <laughs> but there's a truth to that. And this is an example of it where it can go undetected and, you know, it might be subtle and maybe it's not happening all the time, but it's something we have to at least account for. We have to question. We have to try and resolve, you know? Yep. Yeah. Um, so I am married to what most people would call old, uh, he's my age, an old white doctor. And the textbooks, the scientific textbooks, and again, I was a professor of biology for a very long time. I was pre-med advisor. Most of the textbooks are written by white, for white men. So a perfect example is when you go into the emergency room where they call it the emergency department, now ED, back to the little blue pill, but yeah, the different yeah, ED. Different so you go in there and let's say that you're a black male and they put an oximeter on your finger, which is that little, it looks like the ET light up finger thing. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, yeah. They, they put that oximeter on your finger to try and see the percentage of how, how oxygenated your blood is. And what we now know is that based on the pigment of your skin, the accuracy is plus or minus about 3%. Hmm. And so how oxygenated your blood is, is going to determine whether or not you get admitted to the hospital or not many times. And so if you're a black male or woman uh, and you go into the ED or ER and they put an oximeter on you, the, the reading is probably not as accurate, we know this, as for a white person because of the pigment of your skin throws off the calibration of that machine. Yeah. So you will be released and you will be sent home. Yeah. And you probably should, you might maybe shouldn't have been sent home. So even the way the machines, the instruments in the hospital are being used, the calibration of those instruments, and I worked in the hospital for many years, um, that is based on a white person. Yeah. And that's such a good example, because I said we weren't going to go here, but we will a little bit because it's important and it's interesting. Um, 
a lot of people would hear that and be like, oh, what do you say, Nancy? The machines are racist. Like, where are we going with this? <laughs> but, but, but it's like, that's too simple. You're, you're missing the point. It's not that. It's the, it's the reason why you have to continuously ask why and follow the thread because mm-hmm. no, is the machine racist? No, but think about why the machine was created and when it was created because that doctor is going to look potentially in point and they might be acting totally in good faith and not think mm-hmm. they're racist or, or sexist or right. anything like that and just say, no, no, I'm trusting the machine. Well, who right. created the machine? When did they create the machine? Why? Right. And who taught that person? And what was the scientific theory that they used to teach that person? And you root it, trace it all the way back. And it does inevitably trace back to a white European type society. Right. It doesn't mean necessarily they're evil. It just means logically, scientifically, if you follow that thread, it was mm-hmm. designed a certain way. And I think people too often, um, they dismiss that. They just say like, no, 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 there's no rationale to that. This is ridiculous. And I think it's a great example of an instance where mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be that somebody's trying to hurt somebody. It's just the way it was designed and the way it played out through history. Yeah, I, I don't know if you got a chance to see our continuing medical education uh, it, uh, event that we had that was called racism in medicine. And I got a ton of pushback on that. Um, yeah. People that, that really didn't want to um, be members of the society that that I am in charge of, and, and that's fine. That's their prerogative. But the reality is, is that there is racism in medicine. It's not always intentional. I think most of the time it's not intentional at all, but it is there. And um, so by having that awareness, and, and that's the other thing that what we're trying to do is, so Winona, my company, it's a telehealth company. And what telehealth enables anybody that is in telehealth to do is provide hopefully safe, depending on who they are, ours is safe, uh, medical care, to, regardless of where you live. So the medical society that I'm in charge of is in King County, which is Seattle. It's huge. Our county is one of the biggest around. And we have about 75% of the doctors in Washington state in our county. Now, in Washington state, there's a lot of really rural areas that women can't easily go to see their doctor. And if they can go see their doctor, they maybe only have one or two choices. And if one of those doctors decides that hormone replacement therapy is unsafe, which we hear from our patients all the time, my doctor won't give it to me, what's their option, right? They don't have an option. So they wanna feel better. They wanna age successfully, um, but they went to their doctor or they can't get to a doctor, but if they did go to the doctor, the doctor won't give it to them. Mm -hmm. So what Winona provides is an opportunity for people, regardless of their, you know, what color their skin is and where they live or what their socioeconomic status is to get the healthcare that, that they want. And they work collaboratively with physicians that I like to say are really enlightened about medicine today, not what they learned 40 years ago in right. medical school. Right. So let me ask this last question as, as we come towards the end here, and, and, and maybe it'll be the most provocative one, I don't know. But from the beginning when you were speaking, I, I couldn't help but think about kind of a concept of um, exactly what you're talking about with like hormone replacement's a good example, where you mentioned, you know, you were maybe shorter with your youngest son and your, mm-hmm. your mentality was different and you were more frustrated. So not necessarily with menopause, although that's certainly an example of it, but there's this, there's this dilemma maybe that some people have when they look at that and they say, how do I decipher between what's truly hormonal and you have absolutely no control over versus you're just being an asshole or you're just, you know, you're looking for a reason to complain, right? Because people want to go there, right? That's where people Mm -hmm. go sometimes. And I'm just curious from like, given your background and your experience, how, how do you decipher that? Do you think ultimately... we are all made up of hormones and it's our physiology and all that. And it's, that's what drives most of it. Or is it 
psychological to an extent? And how do you decipher between those two where maybe somebody doesn't need hormone replacement, they just need to stop being a jerk or something like yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. I think the question I always ask when I think somebody's being a jerk is I look at the pattern, right? Um, over a long period of time, not just maybe a year or two. You say, what's the common denominator? The common denominator is that he's a jerk. Um, but I do have to say that after I had my third son, I went into a really profound depression. It's postpartum depression. And I probably had it with the first two and I didn't know it. But with the third one, I was just like catatonic in the corner. And uh, so my husband was like, oh boy, we got to do something. So he put me on medication and I have to say, or the, not he, the, the physicians put me on medication. So um, it was antidepressant medication. And for the first time in my life, I sort of said, wow, mm. is this how most people walk around mm. feeling this is good? Like, I really honestly didn't know. I was just born in this particular state. And so uh, then after my fifth son was born, I decided, oh, I don't want to be on these meds anymore. I'm going to go on natural. I don't need meds as a crutch, you know, all the things that you hear. And I just went into even a deeper funk. And so then when they tried to get me back uh, to where I had been on the previous meds, they didn't work anymore. So that's mm -hmm. scary when you go off your meds and that sometimes they don't work. Now I'm happy to say that I'm, I'm well balanced, but I do think that there can be that epiphany for some people where they say, this is where I believe that everybody walking around on the planet sits with their mental space. And maybe what they need is they need to realize, actually, maybe you need a little help. Um, so first, yeah, common denominator, are you always a jerk? Have you always been a jerk for the last 20 years? But then to give that person that grace to say, maybe you just don't know that there's a better way to, to be on this planet. Yeah. And there is a philosophical component to that in that, because it becomes subjective, right? None of us can be in anybody else's head. So we're always right. guessing, like, as you said, is this what it feels like to be normal? And, and maybe, maybe it doesn't, like we, we don't know. And I come back to that point where, and maybe I'm just projecting, maybe it's me and I need to work through my shit, but <laughs> I can't help but think when you say that, that there's some people that think like, ah, you're just being soft. Like you just, like you could have figured it out. You didn't. And, and why though? Why, if there's medicine there, even if maybe you didn't need it as much as you think you did, if it makes you happier sure. and a quote unquote better person, yeah. why would we have a problem with that? It's, it's a funny thing about how we, well, it, what I have issues with, so again, I was in Philly. I loved your accent when you said eh, because that was a very <laughs> South Philly accent. Um, so what our society embraces, and again, all these football games and stuff is what I would call a blunt tool to deal with your anxiety, depression, whatever's going on, which would be cigarettes, alcohol. Now people are using mushrooms quite a bit. Um, and those I call a blunt tool because you're self-medicating. You're just trying to figure out a way to be happy. Now it's socially acceptable to grab a couple of beers and all that. And that's not, most people say, that's not medicating. I'm just partying. Mm -hmm. Well, you're kind of medicating. So you can't really dance around that one. The other thing is a very specific tool. It's a fine, a refined tool that scientists have spent decades trying to identify exactly how it works in people's brains. Um, and that's the medications that we're offering and that I take for depression and other people take for depression and anxiety. So it's like, what do you want? Do you want a blunt tool that probably does kind of sort of works or do you want a very refined specific tool that gets right to the point? Yeah. Um, so seems, seems to make sense. Well, yeah. listen, Nancy, we're, we're towards the end here, but yeah, I have to admit when, when, when you first reached out and we connected, I was like, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to have enough to talk about. Is it going to fit the show? Mm -hmm. and, and this, I'm glad we did. I'm glad you're like, no, I yeah. think it's going to work. 
because um, I think having conversations like this, where two people just say, hey, let's, let's explore, let's be honest, let's see where the logic takes us, let's have an open discussion. I think it's mm-hmm. good. I think even on any topic, it's a good thing, particularly a topic like this, which is people's health and how they're treated. Um, so I think it's really cool what you're doing. I think it's great having a conversation like this. And I, I learned a ton, not only about menopause and, and, and women's health and, and health in general, but just about humans and how we think. And I think that's yeah. gotta be the goal for all, just to get better and learn more. So I appreciate it a ton. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to get to know you. Yeah, you as well. You have a great day. Okay, take care.